Well, good morning. It's another beautiful day to be here worshiping the Lord here at the Calvary campus. And this is our final stop in this series that has been titled The Walk. And we're going to look at this, uh, this idea of, of providence and generosity. And last week, we took a look at the cost of, of discipleship and, and contrasting this view that sometimes we see in modern Christianity that there is this, this real emphasis on if you come to Christ, then here's all of the good things that will happen. And we downplay the reality that the scripture shows us is that when we come to Christ, it actually costs us something. It is, it is our laying down our lives, laying down everything we have for the glory of Jesus Christ. As Paul says that I consider everything else lost comparing to knowing Christ and being found in him. And so we see this idea that uh, with the, the true call to discipleship um, is a, a real call to self-sacrifice and to self-denial. And we, we, we pit this idea against ourselves that if we fail to deny ourselves, in so doing, we can deny Christ and therefore forsake our souls. And there's nothing worth gaining or maintaining that is worth losing our souls over. This, this life is so short. This life is, is really just a little blip on the whole radar of what it looks like to be in life, right, forever. Like we are created as eternal beings that we have a start date, but we don't have an end date. And so when we look at these 80 years that or so that we live, and we start to look at what it means to truly store up treasure, what it means to truly um, have life, it's so easy to get derailed and to start looking at it and saying, you know what, everything is about the here and now. Everything is about what I can do and what I can get while I'm alive. Yet the opposite is true, that when we come to Christ, when we truly are disciples of Christ, truly following Christ, there's nothing that we won't or shouldn't lay down for his namesake and for his glory. And so in line with last week, we're going to look at this idea of providence and generosity because I believe that they go together when we, when we deny ourselves, when we're not living a self-indulgence, uh, self-focused life, that's when we're able to be generous. And the opposite is true, that when we are living a self-indulgent, self-focused life, it's very difficult to be generous. And so we're going to take a look at that um, this morning. And, and today, the major doctrine that I want to defend is the good we have is from God, and he is blessed when we enjoy and share it with others. The good we have is from God, and he is blessed when we enjoy and share it with others. And it's sometimes what we think is that only God wants us to suffer, and, and, and don't, don't hear me wrong when I say that, that we ought to be willing to suffer for Christ, but it is false to go looking for suffering, as if when we find suffering, that's the only time we can actually honor Christ. That's not true either, because God has given us good things, and we ought to see good things in the right way. And so we're going to unpack this idea this morning, but on the same, on the same side of that coin, uh, I want to put this on the screen for us to think about before we get into our text. This comes from C.H. Spurgeon. And he says, let my choicest treasures be surrendered if thy sovereign will shall ordain. And I want you to think about that. I want you to think about the best thing that you have. The thing that you've wished for and longed for for years maybe. Maybe you've saved up for it for a very long time. And then when you finally got it, think through that. What if God called you to give that thing up? That's difficult, isn't it? I can think of a lot of different things in my life that I've dreamt of and, and saved for and, and, and enjoy, but at the same time, I pray that all of our hearts are as Spurgeon's heart here. Let my choicest treasure be surrendered if thy sovereign will shall ordain. That if God calls us to give up our choicest 
treasures and possessions. May we be willing to do that. But let's get us into our word, into our text. We are actually in 1 Timothy this morning. So I hope you have your word with you. Turn to chapter 6 of 1 Timothy and stand with me. And we're going to read our text and get started this morning. We're going to look at verse 10 through 19 this morning. 1 Timothy 6, 10. It says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone is immortality, who dwells in the unapproachable light, who no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on their uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. This is the word of the Lord. Grace be to God. You may be seated. So the three stops that we're going to make this morning, we're going to take a look at this question, what do you love or who do you love? Do you love God or do you love money? And we're going to look at uh, this, this question of why does God provide? And then we're going to end with the good and godliness in generosity. So we're going to look at why or who do you love, God or money, and why does God provide? And then we're going to take a look at the good and godliness in generosity. But if you take a look real quick at this verse uh, in chapter 6, verse 10. He says, this is Paul writing to Timothy. And he says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. A lot of times we get this wrong. There's people who, who, who say this incorrectly and they'll say, money is the root of all kinds of evils. Or money is evil. But money is, is an inanimate object. It is, is amoral. It, it has no, no inherent morality to it. It's like a brick, you know. Have you ever heard that, that, that analogy that you can take bricks and you can build hospitals with bricks? Or you can build prisons with bricks? Or you can build concentration camps with bricks? The brick itself is simply an instrument for which man carries out either good or evil. Money is an instrument that man can either carry out good or evil with. Money itself is not uh, uh, an evil. What Paul explicitly notes, though, is that there is an affection towards this thing that is in itself the actual root of all kinds of evil. Do you see what that is? He says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. So what we have to look at is that in this explicitly is this idea that it is, that it is possible for us to hold money in some high esteem. And what we actually do is that when we start to look at money beyond the ways in which we should look at it, as in it's a good thing from God, it's a gift from God, and it's, it's, a, it's a, 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 an instrument that we can do good with, when we start to look at it beyond that and start to look at it as a savior, 
that's when we are in trouble. What do you, what do you think we do when we get um, money? What do, we, what do you think we do? Do we look at it and say, hmm, this here is uh, really meant to glorify God and is really meant to be shared with others. How can I best give this away? Is that what we usually think when we get money? No, the first thing we think is, is what can I buy myself? What can I use this for to bring myself greater pleasure? Now, there is a side in which that, that's not necessarily wrong. God has given us good gifts to enjoy, and we'll unpack that in a second. But take a look. The next time you get a little bit of money, feel yourself out. What is the first thing you think about? Maybe it's, this isn't going to cut it. This is it. That's all I've got to make it through this month. That may be a reality, too. And so you're not even thinking about buying yourself something. You're like, where's the rest going to come from to pay the light bill? That may be very much your reality and your response. But what we should never do is to start to have great affection towards our money. Because whoever begins to hope in and have great affection for their wealth has begun to grow evil roots in their hearts. When we start to love our money, when we start to have great affection for our money, that is the beginning of evil roots starting to take in and grow into our hearts. Because you know what? The love of money, as he says here, is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Do you recognize in your own life that you've seen people, or maybe you've experienced it yourself, but that when you start to hope in and love money, it starts to drive you to behave in certain ways? Have you ever seen anybody who, who through the love of money, began to express deep selfishness and greed? Have you ever seen that come up? That seems pretty self-explanatory. Self it's pretty obvious, isn't it? When we see someone who's greedy, when we see someone who is, who is deeply selfish, that that's part of it. But you know what happens is often through those love uh, expressions also comes deep isolation. How do you know whether or not you're still, if you're starting to love money? I want you to pay attention to three things. Um, in your pursuit of money, how is it affecting your relationships? How is it affecting your health? And how is it affecting your peace? Because oftentimes what we have happen is when we love money, we start to damage relationships in pursuit of it. Be people start to begin to be means to an end. They no longer are people. They're no longer individuals. They are an opportunity for capitalistic gain. We start to look at people and say, how can I use this relationship to leverage it in my favor for my own gain? And you start to do that to people, and what happens as you use people for your own greedy ends, you start to see yourself become more and more isolated. So ask yourself, how does my pursuit of money impact my relationships? Step one. Step two, ask yourself, how does my pursuit of money impact my health? Are you able to rest? Or are you so stressed out and you're killing yourself to make more money? You have to ask yourself that. Now, I get it. I, I, I'm not, it's not lost on me that sometimes you, we just, we have, to, we have to have a season where we do whatever it takes to survive. I'm not saying that that doesn't have to happen sometimes. Sometimes you got to work two jobs. Sometimes you got to pick up extra work where you can, when you can. There's nothing wrong with that. 
But is that your steady and constant pattern? Because if it is, I would ask you, can your lifestyle come down? Because I doubt that any of us in this room are actually doing everything we possibly can and only living with the bare essentials. Every one of us has expendable income. Every one of us can probably muster a few bucks to hit Starbucks up once a week. Most of us can do that. It's not as if we're truly living on two or three dollars a day as some people or most people in the world. That's what they're living on. So when you start to add it all up and you ask yourself, how is this impacting my health? If you're killing yourself trying to gain money, money may become an idol to you. Money may be well on its way to becoming something you have deep affection towards. And then also, third, how is your pursuit of money impacting your peace? Because I believe that when we start to pursue money in ungodly ways, when we start to hold money in an, in an unhealthy esteem, it impacts our peace. We're not able to actually rest. And there's a couple of things that happens with that. Because I believe a person who loves money often falls into all kinds of evil as they pursue money and in, in to increase gain. But here's the thing. That it's sin upon sin, unrest upon unrest. Because once people start to use other people to get money, and they start to get money in, in ungodly ways, it literally leads to unrest. Imagine when you've done people wrong to get money. Imagine when you start to lie to get money. Imagine when you start to cheat to get money. What happens? It gets harder and harder to fall asleep at night, doesn't it? Unless you sear your conscience, unless you begin to harden your heart so it doesn't bother you anymore. But that's when you become someone who is a full-blown idolater, someone who loves this thing more than anything else. You're willing to die for it. You're willing to give up everything for it. You're willing to give up your relationships. You're willing to give up your health. You're willing to give up your peace. Because even though you know that you've done much harm to yourself and to other in pursuit of this riches, it doesn't matter to you. It is worth it to you. You look at that and you say, this is a fair trade. That's insanity. So, so what we have to recognize, and I want to put it on the screen, and then we'll move on from this heavy point, is money is a terrible friend, it is a terrible mate, and it is a terrible God. Money is a terrible friend, a terrible mate, and a terrible God. If all you have is your money, and you've isolated yourself so that you've destroyed all of the friendships, and all of the relationships, and all you're left with is your money, you will quickly find out that money is a terrible friend. Your money is not going to be there for you when you need somebody to talk to. Your money is not going to be there for you when you need some help moving. Your money is not going to be there for you when a loved one dies. Your money is a terrible friend. Not only that, it's a terrible mate. How many marriages have been destroyed over money? And money becomes the single point of contention that breaks up the marriage. And then when you have gone through that separation because of money, and all you're left with is your money, and you split it 50-50, and you're left with your chunk, and they're left with their chunk, what you recognize quickly is, is money is a terrible mate. It is a terrible thing to be left with. But third, and I believe most important, whenever we let money 
to start to destroy us from the inside, a love for money to, to destroy us from the inside, what we are left with is we start to recognize that money is a terrible God. When we start to hope in our money, it starts to become our God, and it is a terrible God. And I want to give a couple of contrasts um, between a love for money and a love for God, and then we'll move on from this point. Love for money, what does it look like? Do you know that most people, when we're trying to get money, we're actually trying to get power, protection, protect our preferences, we're trying to get independence and autonomy, okay? Because the more money you have, the more autonomous you can be, right? I need no one in my life. If I have enough money, I don't need anybody because I can buy my way out of whatever I need to. Well, that's, that's, a, that's a part of it. We desire that power that comes with money. We desire protection. We believe that our money is going to protect us. Well, it doesn't matter. If we get in a car crash, then my car gets torn up. I got enough money to buy another one. My house burns down. doesn't matter. I got enough money to buy another one. Uh, my dog gets sick. doesn't matter. I can take it to the vet. I've got enough money to pay for that. We start to look at our money as protection. It's, it's a wall that builds around us that we start to hope in. We trust in it. We feel safe with it. That's what happens when we love our money. And it also is a way in which we can fund our preferences. Right? How many churches have gone really wrong because the people in the church with the most money are the ones that are catered to? Why? Because they're going to fund their preferences. And we're going to have this color of carpet because the people who have the most money and give the most money like that color of carpet. They're funding their preferences. We can fund our preferences, can't we? We love our money because it affords us our preferences. Because you know what? Instead of having to eat Burger King today, I can eat at Red Lobster and get those nice little biscuit things that no one really knows how to make. <laughs> you try, but it is, it is never quite right. But our money funds our preferences. But not only that, we get a deep sense of independence and autonomy when we have a lot of money. We don't need anyone we can do whatever we want, whenever we want, however we want, and we answer to nobody because we've got enough money to do it. That's a love for money. Love for God, what does that look like? You know what? I believe the first two actually are the same. That when we love God, we actually get power. That there, there is, there's a sense in which when we love God and we are hoping in God and we are trusting in God, there comes a sense of power with that. Uh, I'm reminded of the scripture. It says those who have an appearance of godliness but lack its power. There's actual power in godliness. Now, not power to bring about your own preferences, but power that comes with that you are, are untouchable in a sense. That you've got the God of the universe backing you. Why? Because you're about his things. You're about his will. You're about his mission. And the the prayers of a godly person is a powerful thing. There is power that comes with that. But you know to whose glory it's not? Yours. It's power wielded for good. It's the power to make a difference. It's the power to be able to influence for good. It's the power to share the gospel and see lives change. There is power that comes with loving God. But it's to his glory But then also there's protection. But you know what? Some contrasts are uh, that instead of getting our preferences funded and getting independence and autonomy, what happens when we love God is actually it looks a lot like surrender, dependence, and obedience. It looks like we surrender. It looks like we are dependent upon God for our everything, which is actually reality. And we also 
get obedience. That's what happens when we love God, we obey God. Those two can never be divorced. Someone can't say, I am autonomous, uh, and break down the word for you, autonomos. Auto meaning self, nomos meaning law. When we say that we are autonomous, we're literally saying, I am a law unto myself. No one is truly a law unto themselves. So when we think we're autonomous, we're actually deceived. Because what actually happens when we are living according to God's precepts is we are a law that we, we are living under the law that was created for our good. That God says that I've designed you to operate in a certain way, and when you operate in a certain way, it will go well with you. So instead of getting autonomy, we get obedience. Why? Because we love God, and when we love God, we want to obey God. We don't obey God so that God might love us. We obey God because we love him. And why? Because he first loved us. Do you remember that? You remember that order of operations? That we love him because he first loved us. And when we love him, we obey him. Jesus says that. You love me, you obey me. You want to say you abide in me, obey me. He who abides bears much fruit. What does that mean? Fruit is obedience. So when we love God... We do get power protection, but we also get surrender, dependence, and obedience. And there's no better place to be than in the will of God. Let me tell you what, have all the money you want to, but then be an enemy of God, that's a scary place to be. How many people, I mean, it doesn't take us two minutes to think of people who, who have lived in the absolute pursuit of money, or even if that wasn't their end game, they had all the money that, that the world could afford, but then the ratio was still one-to-one. One One birth, one death. Steve Gates, I I, I mean, Bill Gates, um, Steve Jobs, look at these people. What, What happened to Steve Jobs? Did he not have enough money to get the best treatment in the world? Yet when God says it's your time, it's your time. Doesn't matter how much you have. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter what your title is. Doesn't matter how many degrees you have. When the person who gave you breath decides to stop that, that process, to call you home, there's not enough money in the world that can delay that. I was listening to an interview um, this week, and I don't necessarily recommend it, but it was an interview with Lance Armstrong, and it was an interesting interview getting into what he was dealing with and that whole process coming out that he was cheating and, and doping and all that crazy stuff. But one of the questions that was asked to him was, how are you surviving today? You used to make millions and millions of dollars. Now you don't have a job. How do you survive? And he says, well, actually, I changed my burndown rate. And he goes, there was a time when people, if someone would have said, hey, Lance, you're going to have to sell all your different houses. You're going to have to sell your jets. You're going to have to get rid of all of this stuff. He said, if someone would have told me that a few years ago, I would have thought, life is going to be horrible without all of these things. How can I live without my jet? How can I live without my three houses? How can I live without all these things? He said, but what I have found, this is a guy who's not a believer at all. He says, what I have found through these trials, that whenever I got rid of all of those things, he goes, I was actually happier. Hmm. Ever think about that verse with godliness and contentment is great gain? That, that, that there is a point in which when we get so much stuff that we actually overcomplicate our lives and it starts to suck the peace out of us, starts to suck the rest out of us. As, as uh, philosophers have noted, with more stuff comes 
more stress. Someone's got to look after it, right? Got all that silver. Who's going to polish it? <laughs> who's going to guard it? Who's going to inventory it? Right? More to manage, more problems. More money, more problems, right? That's that, that saying. It's true. But I want us to think about this, that when we love God, it expresses in acts of service, generosity, and love for others. Remember those three things? Relationships, health, and peace. When you love God, it impacts your relationships, it impacts your health, and it impacts your peace in a positive way. When you love money, your relationships are sacrificed, your health is sacrificed, and you lose your peace. Remember that. But it's such a wonderful and peaceful thing to walk with God and to know him, love him, and obey him. Because that's what we were created for. And, and, and if you look at verse 11, it says, flee from error. Do you know what, what this is, is? Is fleeing from false doctrine, but also fleeing from a misplaced hope. But the imperative that he gives in verse 12, he says, fight the good fight. With the time left, I want to move now to talk about why God provides. So why does God provide? You see this in verse 17 18. says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, and to be ready to share. Do you see that? And presumably, I think it's, it's an accurate presumption that these people who are rich in this present age got these riches not by ill-gotten gain or by greed, but as a result of being blessed through the providence of God. Do you know that some people literally are blessed by the Lord? Like, that's not a name it and claim it or prosperity gospel thing to say. There's certain people who have been blessed. And if you don't believe it, look at yourself. Because you know what? There's lots of people in this world right now wondering where in the world their next meal is going to come from. And you and me are sitting here with a lot of money. If you've got more than $10 to your name, you've got a lot of money in the world standards where people are living on less than a dollar a day, don't have any food, don't know where their next meal is going to come through, sifting through garbage to try to find something to eat or something to sell to somebody else so they can get a couple bucks to eat. You are rich, and if you don't think you're living in a time and in circumstances where you are immensely blessed, you are rich in this present age. And, and, and if you don't believe that, you should go on a mission trip sometime. You should see the way people live in other parts of the world. Because we are rich. And I'm not presuming, and I don't think you would, that you and I have done evil things to get to where we are. Have you messed a bunch of people over to get the little bit of money you have? I haven't, not that I know of. But what does that mean? With much comes responsibility, doesn't it? So this is what Paul is saying. He says, as for the rich in this present age, don't think about the rich as people who are millions and gazillionaires. Think of the actual rich in objective terms. You and me, we are rich compared to most of the world. What are we supposed to do? Well, step one, do not be haughty, Right? We don't use that word around. Don't be haughty. It sounds, sounds British. <laughs> what does that mean? It's, it's meaning don't be prideful. Don't look at the things you have as a way to congratulate yourself. Man, I'm, I'm such a superior person to all those poor people. Those people are poor because they're not as good as I am. Those people are, are poor because they're not as smart as I am. No, we should look at it in, in, in the right light that everything we, we have comes from God. He says, don't be haughty. Here's the other thing don't do. Don't set your hope on the uncertainty of riches. 
You might have money today, but you are not guaranteed to have it tomorrow. What if something happens and you lose everything? Where's your pride now? Where's your hope now? If your hope is misplaced and what the, the, the object of your hope is, is, is removed, what are you left with? You're left with absolute despair. So who should you hope in? God, because who can take him away? No one. Who can remove him from your life? No one. Who gets elected? What happens to our country if America stops being this mega influence in the world and it becomes this little piddly thing that no one really cares about? Has that actually impacted our relationship with God? No. Has it impacted our identity in Christ? No. Has it impacted where we will spend eternity? No. So where have we put our hope? Is it on the uncertainty thing and the uncertain things of this life, or have we put our hope in God who cannot be taken away from us, who will not leave us? But then here's the other thing he says, and this is about God explicitly. He says, who, this is God, does what this verb richly provides us with everything to what? What's that little tricky word? Enjoy. Sometimes as Christians, we are too guilty to enjoy the good things that God has given us. We start to live this martyr's philosophy that unless I'm broke and sick and need everyone else to help me, I'm not really following Christ. But that's a false, that's a false dichotomy. Either be poor and holy or be rich and blessed and ungodly. Now, we know that it's harder to be godly and have a lot of stuff. It's true for you and me. It's really, really easy to see how easy it is for us to start hoping in the things we have and to imagine if we lost them, how devastated we would be. Why? Because we are in some way putting our hope into them. We're somehow putting our hope into our nice houses and a daily provision that we can buy our meals. We can buy anything we need, basically. But if we lost all of that, there's a certain amount of terror that comes with that. If we lose our job, there's a certain amount of terror that comes with that. Imagine right now if, 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 if you went to work tomorrow and your boss says, you're done. Right now is your last day. How would you feel? Would you feel like, hmm, no big deal. God's got this. He provides everything for me. Or would you go, oh, I've only got $50 in savings. I'm dead. Probably a little mix of both, right? Probably the first, the first one second. Right? You're probably, you're probably the second one first. Like, I've only got a couple of bucks. Where are we going to go with this? And then you'll start to feel that out. Man, God's, God's got this. But here's the thing. God provides for our enjoyment. Don't forget that. It's not a sin to enjoy the good gifts that God has given us. There's, a, there's truly a blessing in enjoying the good that God has given us, and we bless God when we do that. And there's also, um, there's nothing wrong with us enjoying or using the material possessions that God has given us, that we would use them to bless others. And actually, I pray for that. I pray that godly people get money. I pray that godly people get influence. Why? Because godly people do what? Godly things. Godly people do godly things with inanimate things. Godly people can take money and power and influence and do good with it. 
But as you have it, you have the temptation to be prideful and to start to set your hopes on it. So there comes the, the, the tension that we pray for godly people to get godly goods so that they can do godly works because that's the thing that, that, that God has said. Is I want you to enjoy them, but not just enjoy them. If you stay there with only enjoying them, you're missing it because God has given us other things, uh, all these good things to do good with them. He says in the rest of verse 17, he says they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share as he goes through 17, 18. To do good, to be rich in good works, and to be generous, ready to share. Because God's intention is for us to enjoy, but also to do good deeds. And his intention is in giving us good things and providing for us is also that we could express generosity. So the providence of God provides opportunity for man to enjoy and share God's good gifts. Not to worship God's good gifts. That's the wrong, is when we worship God's good gifts. We should worship the giver of good gifts and do good with the good gifts rather than to worship the thing that's been given rather than the gift giver. So let's, final, let's make our final stop this morning and we will conclude. The good and godliness and generosity. I want to put this on the screen. When we live lives filled with good works and generosity, we live lives filled with godliness. Do you know what? That when we are generous when we are doing good works, that we are most like God because God by nature is generous. By nature, God serves. I, I, I am blown away when I stop and think about it that when we serve and give, we do so because God has served us first and he's been generous towards us. And sometimes when we, we are hesitant to give, it's actually that we've been fostering this belief that everything we have is because of us. And then if I give it away, how hard was it to get? i got to work that hard again to get it again. But we're not believing, truly, that everything that we've gotten has been a gift from God. I don't know about you, but I can remember back when I was a kid, and I, I just thought the world was against me. I'm 18, and I'm trying to make some money, and I can't make more than $6.10 an hour. The world must be against 18-year-olds. Well, you don't really know anything. You don't really have any value to add, right? But you think you got this entitlement. Someone should be giving me a lot more money. How am I going to make it on this? But then what happens? Throughout your life, you start to see God work and move. And then you'll get to different places. And then we're all on different levels. No, we don't all have the same job. We don't all have the same income. It's, it's an error to compare ourselves to one another. But I hope that you can see that from your first job to 10 years later that you have a little bit better income coming in. Why? You learn, you gain skills, you become more valuable. But think about those two, because when I personally think about those times when I wasn't making hardly anything, and I wasn't making enough money to survive, and now I make enough to survive, I can't help but recognize each step of the way, each promotion I got, each raise I got, had little to do with me being able to manipulate the circumstances and, and, and it was like God puts you in the right spot to learn. Where did you get those skills that they're paying you for? Did you just go in a closet by yourself and think real hard about getting better at something? No, usually God has put you with somebody to teach you something or God has made you a friend to somebody who has an opportunity. You get that job, or maybe God has given you the blessing to live in America in a time where you can get an education. 
any one of those things, if you look back of it, it's really easy to see, I can't take the credit for this. But that's the beauty, is that God is generous towards us, and he consistently demonstrates his generosity. But it would be an error to hoard the generosity and not to share it with others, because as he gives us more, as he provides for us more and more, as we have more excess, greater responsibility is there to share it and to do good works with it because that pleases the Father who is giving to us.